FM 96.3 AM 620. News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here, and joining us in studio, in the house, it's Lieutenant Governor for the state of Vermont, Dave Zuckerman. Good morning, Lieutenant Governor Zuckerman. Good morning. I hope people aren't spitting out their coffee. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, they knew you are coming in. Or choking on it, for that matter. So how is everything, let's start out with a little light, how's everything at the farm? Uh, Well, in some ways, it's going well, because we've had a pretty easy fall to get in, uh, the crops sometimes uh, we're in a rush to beat a frost or, yeah. or so forth, uh, but there's fewer crops uh, because of the crappy weather. It's the worst season we've ever had, uh, and we've had nice weather to get it done. So on the one hand, it's uh, it's been a pretty easy fall, but not really for the best of reasons. It's, because, it was a terrible season, oh, that's, awful season. And and how do you um, how do you balance that? I guess that that's the 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 problem with farming is you're at the you are at the mercy of Mother Nature, as they say. Um, because now the weather is great, right? And 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 um, you if know, I had ripening melons right now, they'd be the best flavored melons we'd have all season. That's what I was thinking. And by the way, th- those candles were probably <laughs> the best I've ever had in my life. Thank you. But um, uh, it's got to be really frustrating to have now this shift and be like, okay, so if if I had planted, you know. No one would expect to be harvesting the, the second week of October, right? Well, so it's not, not harvesting like it, those yeah. those deep summer crops. You yeah. know, uh, it 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 is what it is. Uh, yeah. I somewhat lightheartedly say, you know, I've got a pretty good side hustle, so that helps on the economic side. Uh, the reason I'm here being yeah. a side hustle, um, and but I, I I think a lot about my my fellow compatriots all across the state, uh, you know, whether it was dairy farmers that had their whole you know corn crop yeah. inundated and wiped out. You drive down some of the roads and you just see these dead standing fields that they can't harvest because even if it somewhat survived uh, the contamination with whatever was in the water, they can't harvest it. Uh, hay crops or fields rutted up, you know, looking at feed prices for dairy in particular, but a lot of vegetable farms are in floodplains because that's where some of the best soil is. Because in the spring when it floods, or the fall when it floods, there's not so many crops there. It's a natural And cycle. they're adding yeah. nutrients and so forth. Um, but midsummer floods are just devastating. And, uh, you know, folks are uh, just like some of the businesses that are contemplating whether they come back or not. Um, uh, it's a serious question. And, and we even think about it. We didn't flood, but, you know, sort of death by a thousand cuts. The diseases... The nutrient loss. I've got winter squash I'm harvesting that look decent, and then within a couple of weeks, where they were the side that was on the ground is starting to rot because yeah. it just sat against moisture for so so long, or pests carved a little hole in it that normally would heal over, but it stayed wet, so it it festered and and became disease. So, um, yeah, it, it, at the bigger question for me, you know, what twelve years ago was Irene, and then we have this, uh, you know. What are the cycles? Farmers tend to be optimistic. You plant in the spring. This year will be better. But you got to start wondering with the shifting and and, uh, create chaotic weather. They can't take it the same way people can't take it. You know, it's weird when it changes 40 degrees in two days. And uh, it stresses the plants, too. Some things bolt that wouldn't normally bolt. Our our fall broccoli is terrible, which you wouldn't normally expect. But because early on it had so much moisture, there was the beginning of diseases. So... Yeah, yeah, you know that's the that's the other stuff you don't think about. It's like um, 
I, I planted Brussels sprouts a couple of times, but they yeah, take so long. Well, and they take so long. You know, it's like this is the, probably the only year I would have gotten a Brussels sprout because you know it's sixty degrees in October. But I, I think about that. It's like you know. Because it was so wet in the beginning, in the middle of the summer, it is screwed up so yeah, the, many things. The effect sometimes you don't see it for a month or six and, or eight weeks. And why would you grow that anyway? What are you going to do with them afterwards? Eat them? Oh, yeah. yeah. You're going to cut them in yeah. half, and right. you're going to throw olive oil and garlic mm. on them, and you're going to roast they, them at 400 degrees. They compost degrees. faster when you cut them in half. That's the same cut them in half. Oh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, I know. Gentlemen. People love Brussels sprouts, and you all can enjoy them. And that's the good news. Is Not me. We, we don't all have to like every kind of food. I grow types of food I don't, I don't like. You know, oh, that's sure. Fine. Yeah. Um, I think we should pass legislation. There you go. Banning the growing. That's a very Republican comment of you. Government control what you can do. I like that. (laughs) They're shifting quite a bit there. (laughs) Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. It's Democrats that want to control everything, you big dumb. Uh, I didn't even realize. I'm sorry. I picked I, up that it, line. it was called humor. Yeah. There, yeah. There's some people out there that get humor, and I appreciate all of yeah. you that do. Yeah. I do. <laughs> it was I, sh- <laughs> I, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I, I'm genuinely talking about Brussels sprouts and, and vegetables, and all of a sudden it's like, let's we're, pass along. We're going to start a controversy <laughs> over Brussels sprouts this morning. <laughs> all right, Dave, um, I want to ask you about this. Um, the last week, there was a big decision made by Mayor Moreau Weinberger. You were a longtime Burlington resident. I know you live in Heinsberg now with the farm um, and all, but um, I want to get your thoughts on the mayor's race in Burlington. IRV, something that you are a big proponent of, is going to be in place in the race that's actually five months from today. And uh, you would know that. Yeah. Do you expect, <laughs> do you expect uh, to be involved in any way in the mayor's race in Burlington? Like, I mean, you're a lieutenant governor. I imagine right. a candidate might seek your endorsement. Well, you know, it's obviously pretty early, and I I want to give the mayor a lot of respect for making an announcement early because that really allows folks, both those who are maybe already thinking about running against him or those who are thinking about if he does run or doesn't run, I'm going to run. Um, now there's enough time that not only are folks who are historically political who have been thinking about these things, but even other folks have enough time to contemplate running. Uh, with ranked choice voting, folks can really think about what they bring to the table. Uh, folks, some folks said, you know, David, are you going to run? I said, well, I don't live in Burlington. <laughs> yeah, we, kind of um, important. I do, uh, I, I do still have a, a rental property. I suppose I could move back. But no, I do not. <laughs> I will say right now, on the record, I am not running for mayor of Burlington. Um, but... <laughs> No, there's no doubt. Uh, there's uh, different folks who might well ask me about an endorsement. And I, as I've said to many people, including in races I've run in, where I've joined a race at what was a reasonable time, and they said, oh, last summer I endorsed so-and-so because they asked me. I thought, you've endorsed someone more than a year before the race. Why don't you wait and see who's in it? Yeah. So even if someone asked me today if, they, if I would endorse them, I would say, look, I, I respect you. I think you bring a lot to the table. Uh, but I'm going to wait and see who all the people might be that are going to jump in before I'd endorse anybody. Uh, Emma, Emma Mulvaney Stanek, just give us a quick comment on a couple of the candidates that are yeah, talked about. Yeah, she's incredibly smart. Uh, she's got a lot of experience in both the legislature, but then also uh, in the private sector, and then also in union, not private sector, excuse me, but union organizing and sort of negotiating. And negotiating is a lot of what you do as a mayor. Uh, I, I think she's certainly a highly qualified candidate. You know Karen Paul very well, too. Yep. Uh, is, well, you and I worked on her initial campaign for city council, so that might surprise everybody out there. She has not there, announced, but, but she is being 
talked about as sure. she's interested. Uh, again, uh, longstanding, if not lifelong member of the community. Uh, she has been on the council for many, many years, know the city inside and out. Again, another highly qualified candidate who I have a lot of respect for. Joan, Joan Shannon? Uh, again, city council. Uh, I've probably had more maybe disagreements with Joan, but on a, um, on a personal level, we get along really well. Uh, she has struggled with Lyme disease, and she and I and my family have talked a lot about the challenges of, of chronic illness. And uh, so she understands what people go through when they've got a perpetual challenge, uh, either health or otherwise. Um, so qualified, probably not my first choice, but uh, a lot of respect. And how do you think uh, the ranked choice voting, being a part of this campaign, how do, how do you think that that will impact the race? Well, you know, you've you've campaigned through a race with ranked choice voting, so you know better than I do. But I've certainly uh, observed and understood that ranked choice voting, I would think, leads to more conversation about issues and a little bit less about bashing an opponent because you might want that opponent's second choice. I think you can disagree with someone and you can say, this issue I disagree with you on, that issue I agree with you on. I don't consider that bashing anybody. Uh, but I think you also... Back in the day, he said, you know, nobody was willing to go out on a limb because they didn't want to piss anybody off. And I think that's too bad. Uh, folks, obviously, you listen to me here. No, I would go out on whatever limb. I'm going to say what I think and believe. Um, and I would hope more candidates would do that uh, in general. Um, but I think it, it'll I think it'll make it possible for a wider range of issues and a wider range of solutions to be put on the table so that voters can then contemplate, oh, that idea about drugs versus that idea about drugs and that idea about homeless folks. Uh, what can we take as the best combination of ideas out there and who's going to present them? And here's what, and just get your thought on this. Here's one of my, as you, you alluded to what I've said about IRV, because I look at every voting system on the, the pluses and minuses, the merits, the weaknesses of each system, because there are pluses and minuses to every voting system. There's no system. perfect system. And I, I did find that because there there is a fine line between being nasty to an opponent or having vigorous discussions about issues. Right. And I, my experience was that the candidates, um, it became more of a vanilla type campaign, homogenous campaign where people were more concerned to be having strong disagreements over issues because they wanted the other candidates second or third place votes or whatever. And, um, a lot of people's theory was that I got the most first place votes because I, I didn't engage in that. I just, said what I thought about whatever the issue was and yeah, let I, the second place votes fall where, where they may and they didn't fall my way enough right. of them. <laughs> well, but I, I would say with that race, first of all, with any system to fully analyze it with one race is is challenging because you've got to see different combinations. You also happen to be running against two people who are um, pretty soft-spoken. I mean, Andy Montrell and Bob Kiss weren't exactly known as, uh, you know, the, the bulls in the in the ring kind of people. So I don't know whether it was the voting system or it was personalities that also did that. Right? I, I don't. I'm not saying that is the only reason. I think you're right that it can lead to and Dan, softness. Dan Smith was in that race. I too. apologize. I did forget that Dan Smith was in that race. But Dan Dan is a pretty proper fellow. You know, he wasn't gonna. I, I like Dan a lot, by the way. But he's not. He's also not a bull in a china shop. I'm not saying you are either. But you're more direct about your views, as am I. Um, and I don't think either one of us are bulls in a china shop. 
uh, if that's a, a phrase that's allowed to be said anymore, by the I way, I might, have, I might have just stuck my foot in it and lost every <laughs> left wing going out there. Who knows? So the, if you the, can't say bull in a china shop anymore. That'll be something yeah, wrong. I mean, yeah. my mom was a bull in a china shop. So, yeah. you know, what the heck? Yeah, it's all good. Oh, but now <laughs> no I said my mom was a bull. That's gender dysphoria. <laughs> oh, boy. I really messed everything up. You are now. stepping in it today. All right. Well, let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. I think it's safe to say that Kurt is a bull in the china shop. <laughs> <laughs> you are getting used but to really giving me some shots. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the best, Kurt. I'm kidding. You know I'm kidding. I wouldn't um, go that far. David, would, would, would you consider running for governor if, if Phil doesn't? I know I'm going to hit the never say never because that's what Joan Shannon said, and now she's going to run for mayor. Um, but what do you think about that? There you uh, go, well, Dave. I mean... First of all, uh, I think folks might remember, although it's a little bit of an asterisk on the pandemic, but I happened to have run once before, uh, and I did get clobbered. I, I think winning this office back shows that it maybe wasn't a, we're all voting against Dave. I think it was a, a lot of it was vote for Phil during a pandemic, et cetera. But some of it, you know, I have my haters, and some of them even are listening right now, and that's okay. Uh, I will certainly consider it, no doubt about it. Um, okay, so you're being candid. You're saying if Phil yeah. Scott does announces... Uh, Sometime in the spring, this is it for me. I'm not running again. You may be interested. Yeah, I mean, I think I bring a lot to the table. I have a range of ideas that haven't been fully pushed. And uh, uh, I think there's some real challenges in the state that need being addressed. But, you know, I don't think any, uh, quote, top-tier candidate is going to run against the guy that's one of the most popular, if not the most supported governor in the state. He's got more support from Democrats than Republicans. So it's kind of an impossibility if you're... uh, a smart politician. Are you confident that you could beat Moreau Weinberger for the Democratic nomination? Uh, wow. Well, first of all... <laughs> there you go, Kurt. Let's just throw it right out there. Uh, I would say overall I would go into that race with an advantage, having won statewide, having beaten people who uh, had a lot of support and had a lot of resources in different primaries. Uh, I'm sure the party apparatus would do its thing. Um, but I also think there would likely be some other people in that race. All right. Well, uh, let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hey, good morning. Can, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're on the air. Go ahead. All right, good. Hey, great. Good. Hey, uh, David, this is a question about your uh, band books uh, tour. I'd sure. Like to learn a little bit more what, um, what you're hearing from Vermonters. Um, it's um, last week, I believe, was the American Library Association band books week celebration yeah, this um, week. and information about that. Yep. Um, at Champlain College today, we're going to have uh, banned books um, kind of read in to celebrate some books that are being uh, that are being um, uh, not allowed to to be read in certain yep. places. So, what are you hearing? And um, do you think this is a, a cultural a cultural discussion, or are there some policies out there that can uh, that can help us? So, I'll take my question and hang up. Thanks. There sure. Go. Good question. Yeah. No, thank you very much for the question. And and yes, it's uh, this is actually banned book week on uh, Friday was the kicking off of um, of a uh, Green Mountain Book Festival. Uh, so the timing is all sort of coincided. And and I think as you may have alluded to, I'm doing a, a banned book banned books are books worth reading tour across the state. And uh, I will say I've been disappointed in that uh, some of the conversations have not been as diverse as I would like. Uh, Most of the folks that have turned out to the events have been of the same opinion that I am. Uh, But I've said at every meeting, I welcome diversity of opinion. And in fact, I've, I've said, if someone doesn't want their kid to see a book or have a book, 
they have every right to that. And they also have every right to the opinion that they have about any book and every book. And they have every right to state their opinions about those. And that what this is about is, uh, and I think there are times when people on the left can be as intolerant, maybe not intolerant, but uh, they can shut people down for having an opinion as much as they're claiming people on the right do. Uh, and neither one of those are okay or appropriate. Everyone has a right to their opinion. When it comes to policy and about banning books, that's where it's what is a government policy which is versus what is a personal opinion. You don't want a certain book in your house or for your kid to have access to it. You have control of that in your house. That's your right. It's about whether or not you have the right to have somebody else's kid not have access to a book. Exactly. And so uh, when you look at uh, access to books and material... Uh, and I'll try and be briefer, but this is a complicated issue, uh, Kurt, if you want to jump in. I'm not sure what you're looking at. But um, the the access to books for you those You never who mind are, what I'm looking at over here. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. I'll exactly. stop paying attention. I'll stop letting <laughs> no, myself no, get distracted. But, uh, not to interrupt, but we've been, we've, we're trying to get better at watching the clock. I'm, no, I, actually, I'm looking at the screen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. I don't know what you're looking at. Well, speaking sorry, of screens, sorry to inter- I was going to talk about so, screens. Sorry to interrupt. So, keep going. No, that's go totally fine. But uh, some families have resources to go buy a book every week at the bookstore and fill their house with books. Uh, and some don't. Some want to. Some don't. But for some, libraries are the only place where they can get books, borrow them, return mm-hmm. them, and have access to information. Uh, when you start limiting what that information is, uh, and when you look through history at limiting information, uh, you can go down a pretty slippery slope. Now, there's two major categories of books that are being uh, challenged and banned. One whole group that I think a lot of folks in Vermont who are interested in this topic and, and maybe limiting what books are available are around LGBTQ issues and coming of age, and they don't want their kids to see or hear about any kind of sexual intimacy. Um, and some have a bigger concern about intimacy between two people of the same sex or gender. The other major category of books that are being banned, however, are also history. Uh, it's being pushed out under the faux conversation of critical race theory being taught all over the place in our elementary and middle schools and high schools, which is not happening. Uh, but simply history around slavery or race. Um, and it's really dangerous when you start <clears throat> uh, pushing to erase portions of history uh, or, or erase people. Uh, look at pre-Nazi and Nazi Germany. Look at McCarthyism. All of these things are precursors to pretty major changes in governance. Well, what do but, you, and, and uh, I think a lot of The last thing people, I was going to say was about the screen, by the way. I'm right. holding up my cell phone because it's radio, so I'm going to describe what I'm doing. Kids have access. Uh, they have access. So I, I just wanted to stop them? you for a minute yeah. just because yeah. the phone Got lines it. are lit take up and, and we're getting close to the break. So okay. I wanted to get some calls in if we can. I'll let's, take a snack. Let's let's grab a call. <laughs> Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. A thing from simpler times. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, well and, and opinions, that's one reason I think opinions are valuable uh, and, and should be allowed from all sides. I, we do have laws around hate speech. Um, and those are important because sometimes uh, hate speech, building on hate speech, has often then led to violence or or injury. So I mostly agree with you, but there's there's some aspects there that I would push back on. Let's grab another call. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call very quickly. Uh, quick comment about the book. Uh, the book that not everybody wants to have in their home is not because of it's directed to a specific group of people. 
people. It's the content right. that's in that book right. that's often just inappropriate. And having those in the school libraries, uh, some people oppose, because as you said, we want to kind of have an input for the kids reading on that. So public libraries, any book you want, but school, there should be a limit. But I want to ask you about safety in Burlington, because what's been going on every day you hear on the radio, drive-by, see shootings, people on the, on the ground, and see issues. Was defunding police Super bad idea, and are you still standing by it? Thank you. Dave, if that's a significant answer, maybe we want to tackle that on the other side of the break. Okay. Yeah, it might sure. be. I mean, because I, I had that on my list to bring up to you. This well, that's morning, fine. I'll, I'll briefly answer the library thing, and then we can do the bigger policing one afterwards. Uh, as for a library, a public school library is a public library. And there are a lot of kids in that middle age, middle school age and developing age who are going through their development and their dysphorias and having a librarian who is a gatekeeper for checking out books, being able to suggest which book would be appropriate for that kid at the place where they are developmentally um, is part of what education is about. It's true with uh, English teachers. It's true with a lot of different um aspects of education and as a parent you can also say to the school i don't want my kid to have that book and the teacher or the librarian will find a different book all right we're going to take a quick break uh and um actually we're gonna take a 30 second break i'll be back with the morning drive money keyword of the day and then we're going to drive on fm 96.3 and am 620 news talk wvmt This is a story about uh, Dave Zuckerman and <laughs> <laughs> and the pig that got out while I was on the radio. Oh, there you go. Sing it, Dave. All right, we are back on the morning drive. Welcome <clears throat> back, everybody. Note. The Mackenzie Country Classic Hotline is open. Triple eight four one four zero three zero three. On a side note, it's uh, Steve Miller's birthday today. Yes. How old do you think Steve Miller is? Remember the Steve Miller band? Yeah, oh yeah, probably mid seventies. And he's eighty. Well, years right. old. Like yeah. Mick Jagger, right? right. My freshman year roommate at UVM was named Steve Miller. Oh, and he's a Vermonter. Vermonter. <laughs> um, there was the rest of the question, so we don't yeah, want to. But before we get to that, I okay. have a follow up on the. I just want the listener to know. Yeah, you were I getting... have not forgotten, even if other people no, are going to delay well, further no, 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 and further because Kurt's got more points. We're things. getting back to that. But, but first, <laughs> I want to just one more follow up question on, this, on the banned books issue. Sure. So, is there any book that you, because I'm sure some listeners are thinking this, is there any sure. book that would be not appropriate to be in a school library. Anything that you would say, that that just goes too far. Or or should any parent be concerned that a librarian will make the decision? What if the parent says, hey, there's a, li- a librarian in my school that is very far left, that is very, that pushes politics on kids. I, I'm just using this as an mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. And she is going to direct my student, my right. child, towards a book that I don't want my child to be reading. Is there any book that would go too far to be in a school library? So the challenge for me with saying any particular book or in general, any, to- any topic in general, is that who decides what is inappropriate for other kids to see or read? And so as soon as you say, I don't want that book there for my kid, you are then making, if that book is then removed from the library entirely, you're saying not only is it not for my kid, it's for no kids. So you have a right to say to the librarian, I don't want these books 
to my kid. Now, that's then, uh, whether they follow that or not is another matter, right? Although the librarian is an employee of the schools, and that ultimately goes up through the chain of command to the school board. Uh, so there's a process on all of this. Uh, but when you start to say books shouldn't be seen uh, by any kid, because that's what you're saying. If you say that book shouldn't be in the library, then it shouldn't be seen by any kid. Uh, then uh, the question is, what's who's deciding? So, for instance, what if some folks said, you know what? And I'm not advocating this. I'm just giving a hypothetical. What if someone said, you know, guns and gun violence is going up in our society. Guns are violent. They're traumatic. We have drills in schools. Some kids are anxious about this because of what's gone on in some schools. There should be no books with guns in them because that's going to be traumatizing to children. And I think others would argue, wait a minute, we should be, you know, guns have been a normal part of our history from hunting and living and, and, and taking care of yourself, making sure you have food um, and making sure you're safe in your community when you're far from law enforcement in certain areas. Uh, no, you can't banish guns from books because they should be normalized. Well, who's on which side of the issue? And well, and so who's in the majority and who decides suddenly what is limited is a big, big what deal. If, uh, is it legitimate if a parent... A child comes home with a book, says, hey, my librarian in the school said this is a good book for me to read. And it was something that the parents found completely objectionable and didn't right. want their kids reading. Would that be a fair concern of a parent? That is a fair concern of a parent, but usually that's not the whole story. The story is that the kid, a librarian typically doesn't just go up to a kid and say, you should read this book. Usually the kid has either a group, a set of books they've been taking out over time and the librarian starts to see the, the types of books they take out or the kid says, hey, I'm trying to figure out about X, Y, or Z. Do you have a good book? So the kid is asking for the material before a, a librarian just sort of goes, hey, you should check out this book. Um, now, again, I've been called a groomer and a pedophile because I'm talking about not banning books, but, um, you know, that... It is extraordinarily rare uh, amongst all the different fears people have about the fears of what people do to other people. And instantly people are generalizing about librarians or me about being, you know, pedophiles or groomers that that is couldn't be farther from the truth. Well, and I also think it's important to point out that it is freedom of information. Yeah. As you talked about. And then there's there's the 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 difference in schools is appropriateness and age appropriateness. And I think that um, I, I agree with you. I happen to know quite a few folks that work in schools and the schools that they work in locally. Uh, they, that is not a situation where they have a, a, a stack of books under the table right. saying, here, take this and they, home. And they don't read every book. So occasionally a book is brought forward. They, they are told something's in it they didn't realize. And they'll move it to the young adult section sure. or history section. Like, they're yeah. imperfect uh, beings just like well, all of yeah. us. All right, Dave, let's yeah. get to Go the ahead. Burlington question. Now, the second part of her question sure. was Burlington. Yeah. There is a, a, people, you can, it's palpable now in Burlington. Everybody's talking about it. It's going to be a huge issue in the mayor's race. You're not a Burlington, but you are a statewide oh, yeah. office holder. You're a lieutenant oh, yeah. governor, and you were a longtime resident of Burlington. And I have property there, in Burlington, and values could change. properties so in Burlington. I have but interest. The, we are seeing an explosion of, of homelessness, an explosion of of issues with needles being found everywhere, people shooting up in City Hall Park all over the place. Uh, you have an issue with crime, and you have an exploding issue of retail theft. Yeah, is this just a Burlington issue? Is there some? Is there are there laws that need to be changed on a statewide level? What needs to be done? 
Well, it, it is not just a Burlington issue. Uh, it is an issue in, in many larger communities all across the country. We have seen an explosion in homelessness uh, as housing prices all across the country and even more exacerbated in Vermont, both accessibility and price. Uh, and there's no doubt there's a drug problem. Uh, I will not deny any of those things. The question is, what's the best way to deal with it? Now, one of the things that happened was this summer, a lot of people were booted out of temporary housing. And lo and behold, our streets filled up with people. Not exactly rocket science to see what's going on there. What I would say is we can try and arrest our way out of the problem and spend sixty to $80,000 per person putting them in jail, and there will be another person right behind them on the street. Uh, or we can do, unfortunately, what wasn't completely done, partly because of resources and there's just not enough counselors out there, just like there's not enough law enforcement out there, um, to really figure out how to work with these folks to get them back into a way to be members of society. Because we can build more and more buildings and put more and more people into buildings that say, you don't fit in society, so we'll just warehouse you over here. All across the country, we have the most people in prison of any country in the world per capita, and I believe even maybe outright. Uh, And so I don't think that's the solution I don't have the absolute solution, I will say, because the caller asked about uh, me supporting defunding the police. What I support, and I think the term defunding is a a terrible term from a uh, strategic perspective, and I also don't believe that's the right method, Uh, but but law enforcement and public safety is a broader uh, arena than solely law enforcement officers. It's also... Uh, street counselors. It's it's folks that are uh, in human services and in healthcare. These are all aspects of public safety, and that whole arena is has not had the funding that it needs. But uh, would you deny though that at least that it had an impact on what's happening in Burlington? The fact that the police force was uh, reduced by forty percent, and and there's certainly not that it's all because of that, but there's been an explosion of issues in Burlington, kind of around the same time frame. Other issues certainly right. are impacting it. No, there, there's no doubt. There are a couple of things that happened there. One is the 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 they did not defund by forty percent. They talked about doing it over time with attrition, and and then it happened faster than expected because law enforcement felt they disrespected and left. Fair enough. Um, and all across the state, there's a shortage of law enforcement officers. So it's not just Burlington, and I do think it's part of that broader conversation, both in Burlington and across the country, because there were. You know, quote, a few bad apples, right? We know the George Floyd is the epitome of it, but it's happened all across the country. But communities that have been deeply affected by police who have power, abusing that power, and not having ramifications on those over decades had led to this backlash. So the pendulum has swung too far. I don't disagree at all. Do you all think that. that the council back then did the right thing with that resolution? They did call for reducing the force, however it was going to be done, by... A third. Well, they called for reducing the force and adding other people into public safety, and those were not added. So I do think, as a package, uh, it was an idea worth they, exploring. Clearly, they were added because they couldn't work. be added immediately. There, there weren't the. It takes. It's a process. It takes time. Sure. Not that they but, couldn't. They well, didn't immediately add. I know Moreau has come in and said, "Well, they couldn't fill those positions." There are others that say they didn't try very hard. I don't know because I wasn't in, you know, Moreau's office or those meetings. Uh, but there's the idea of public safety being solely law enforcement or primarily law enforcement is a concept we've lived with for decades, and uh, 
and we've also had the highest rates of incarceration. Uh, I don't think that's the best way to solve public safety issues, but it is a part of it. And so it so sounds like too many su- people. It sounds like you think they did the right thing with that resolution. Then at the time, I supported the resolution, and the question was, do I still support defunding the police? I've never supported de- quote defunding, which also many think people think means abolishing the police. Um, but I think we need to actually invest in both law enforcement and comprehensive services to address this issue. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Uh, the Bash Zuckerman Hour is probably my favorite time of the month. Just want to let you guys know. Thanks for coming on. Uh, <laughs> you, I don't know which way truly to take that, but I'll take it in a positive way. <laughs> you you might find out in a minute. <laughs> That's right. Go for it. All right. Just just a comment, not really a question. Um, I might whenever comment a progressive back, is criticized, they often point to national trends. They say it's not our policies. It's a, it's a trend across the country. And then the next day, they'll brag about being a part of a national movement. They'll join um, uh, national NGOs and be bored of these national uh, national groups. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, it's not my fault, it's a national trend, then be part of a national progressive movement. They're, no, they're I appreciate that. Well, no, I appreciate that. Point. What I, my, my point wasn't that... Um, uh, what was your point, Dave? Uh, what was my point? <laughs> the, my point was that you have the word spend to win a thousand bucks and you didn't use the word save, which is another way. Oh, that, oh that's but on anyway, there too. No, anyway, uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate that. And my point was that this is an issue all over the country. It is, of course, still our responsibility locally to try to find a solution. And I do believe I answered that I supported the resolution back in the day, although I don't think I officially came out and did it, but I'm happy to say now I think it was a move in the right direction, whether it was too far, too fast, uh, and or didn't work. Clearly, uh, we have a problem on the streets today, and we need to resolve that, and we have to address it. And so uh, I would say both are true, but but also if we're going to talk about, quote, I'm going to call it whataboutism, um, which is not actually what this was. Uh, I have issues with Hunter Biden and I have issues with President Trump. So for all those folks who are like, oh, everyone's going after Trump. What about Biden? Actually, Biden is being prosecuted. Biden was being investigated by a Trump appointee that was maintained in office under the Biden administration. And it was said that that uh, attorney, that state's attorney or, or prosecutor, whatever the heck he's called, uh, is a slow, methodical person. And now everyone's saying, the Biden thing is all slow and it's terrible. It's like, well, a Trump appointee is okay. in charge. I want to go back to I, I know, but I'm just, when safety. people are going to talk about really that stuff. You're walking into it now. Yeah. Oh, I, bring it on because, no. you know, I, gotta, there's I more really points want to, to talk to you about this, though, because Poor this, spoiled I think, Trump is being held accountable. This oh, is, we, this, we, we. Well, uh, yeah. Go ahead. We can discuss that. I do want to, I don't want to forget this whole thing on public safety because... Sure. I, I think that there are conversations, at least they're starting to have conversations. I completely agree, and I don't think anybody can possibly disagree that we have a mental health crisis in Vermont, in nationally, but in Vermont in particular, because we were told after the flood we didn't need a hospital, the UVM was going to build one, they haven't built one now, there's a ton of finger pointing, but the reality is, is if you're in crisis... You could spend days in the emergency room. Right, uh, which is it's, costing it's, all of us insane amounts it's, of money. It's, it's absolutely insanity. So totally now, inefficient. I did want to talk to you about, because I, I don't, I, I, there's conversations about what do we do, what's the next generation of mental health look like, and they're coming back around to say, 
been a lot of conversations nationally and a few locally about um, institutions and facilities, but that are more holistic approaches. Um, and I just wanted to get your take on that because it sounds from, from my perspective, logically, we have to do something on a large scale. And I, and I don't think, um, you know, the minute you say institution, everybody thinks of, you know, clockwork orange or, you know, one mm-hmm. flew over the cuckoo's nest. I'm sorry. Right. Uh, and what do you think? Do you think there's a, there's, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a piece there that, that might, might help, particularly in Vermont, because, there's private industries, that, private companies that would come in and build one in Vermont, but they're not allowed to legally right now. Yeah, I mean, a couple things here. I would want to um, do a lot more research before I totally pinned myself on this answer. Yeah, I'm not trying okay. to nail you down, but, but I, I do have think, a conversation no, I just, about I it. I think it's important sometimes those of us in politics say, well, this is the answer. Yeah. And it's like, well, actually, we're not experts in everything. Uh, in fact, we're experts in just a handful of things. We hire experts. But I think there's a place for... Um, a holistic residential facility uh, because you need, sometimes folks need, you know, 24 hour monitoring. Uh, there's also a long, slow process sometimes for, for honestly, it's, it's odd wording. Maybe reprogramming is not the current uh, medical terminology, but resetting one's brain pathways, which can be done mm-hmm. uh, with therapy and training and, and a, and a healthy atmosphere. Uh, Brattleboro Retreat used to have a farm, and yeah. it's been considered very therapeutic. A lot of veterans are going into farming as a way to have a, a calmer, peace, more peaceful surrounding so that they're, they're just not being inundated. I think we should be looking at our phones and, the, and how often we are distracted by our phone and how that actually throws off our brain synapses. Uh, we have to look at the economy and how many people are struggling. That leads to a lot of mental health issues is when you just look at 16 bills and you can pay four of them and you go, how am I going to ever get out of this hole? Yeah. Uh, so there's many, many factors to the mental health uh, concerns and issues. And some of those then lead to, unfortunately, uh, drug issues and further down the line. And that's also a pharmaceutical conversation. But yeah. Dave, uh, we're getting late on time. I want to just give me a quick answer to this one. Yeah. So when you talk about national trends, as the caller sort of challenged you on a little bit. Sure. Uh, one of the, and, and the and national trend, the, the similarities, the similarities though, a lot of people would say this, the similarities to what Burlington's happened in cities across the country are that they did reduce their police forces across the country in places like Seattle and New York and Chicago and other places. And they have hired prosecutors who a lot of people would say are we'd call them weak on crime prosecutors that they don't prosecute. They have a different philosophy. Those are the things that seem to be the national trend. I got a different issue we need to get into. So if you give me just one quick response to that. My quick response would be with any national trends. And I just said the words. So you're right. I went there too. Uh, it's really important to take as many different uh, from a scientific and analytical perspective, uh, all the different variables, because these things also all happened through the pandemic and through the economic turmoil. So was it, defunding police in some of these communities? Did they all do it equally? What are the rates of crime changes? So you'd want to compare and look at all those before you put the blame right on those things, but that may be part of it. I know we've got calls, but i got to get this out before the show's over. I tried over. to be quick. Uh, you did. You were good. Um, you are part of a group with some legislators, a bunch of legislators, who have signed on to this letter that you have asked. You, you support having the Supreme Court justices, expansion of the Supreme Court. Some would call it packing the Supreme Court. Why are you calling for that? Uh, for a couple different reasons. Uh, one is, historically, the number of Supreme Court justices has gone up 
It has also gone down, by the way. But it has been that there's one Supreme Court justice for each uh, appellate court region. And now uh, we actually have more regions and, and next layers of courts than we have Supreme Court justices. So that's, if you're looking at the historical model, that would fit. The, the other is that uh, ultimately the, the rules were used, they were within the rules, but they're highly manipulated to create a court that is actually out of step with the majority of the country. You want to add four justices? Is that right? Uh, I believe that's the number that would take it to the same number of justices uh, that would reflect the number of uh, appellate courts. But clearly it's, it's because you don't like the direction of the court. It's both reasons. And but OK, so let's say because Republic- I actually think the Let- court, the courts are not looking at precedent. They're overthrowing precedent. They're up. I mean, this people are saying this this series of hearings, this round of court cases may be the most disruptive yet, including on the economy. Uh, which a lot of people should be very concerned. Ruth Bader Ginsburg thought this was a terrible idea. And um, what, what would you say if... We don't all agree if with a, If a year from now, there's a Republican president and the Republicans win the Senate and House, are you still going to advocate for that? Uh, I'll be consistent and advocate for that, sure. So, and, and the, the rule change, I mean, I'm not that smart. There's no question. But when Harry Reid changed the rules in the Senate, it was kind of obvious that... You know the, the pendulum's going to swing, and the, and and if the timing's right, it's gonna, right. You that, know. Those rule changes happened step by step over time. Yeah. We got where we are because back when Harry Reid was in that role, Mitch McConnell wisely used the rules, but exploited them beyond sort of what the intent of those rules were. And that's the reality. And it happens in politics. It happens in life, right? You, everyone pushes the envelope. The consequences of rules being pushed to the edge of the envelope in governance are far more consequential than the rules being pushed of going over 65 miles an hour down the highway. But and mostly Trump got three appointments, and he, he that's that's the rule. And well, he got but, th- but he got three appointments when one of them actually was 10 months of someone else's appointment, and the other one was well beyond the timeline of the rule of the of the statement given on that 10 months. I mean, Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell, my apologies, Mitch McConnell, McConnell, was so hypocritical between those two appointments and what he claimed was the reasoning on the first one and then did on the but second. But if the voters thought that was a big issue, right, they could have uh, elected Hillary Clinton. There are a lot of issues both with Hillary Clinton and with that election. And in fact, if you look at the popular vote, they did elect But we her. don't. We yes. like to state I, by state. I understand that. But when you say the voters, you didn't say the states. You said the voters would have elected Hillary Clinton, and they did. But our rules, which is fine, is the Electoral College, and that went Trump's way. I'm not disputing the fact. It's just you said voters. I got to tell you, I, it's the first time I've heard the logic of the number of appellant courts has expanded, and usually there's one justice for every appellant court. I well, haven't heard that It's yet. been the same number of Supreme Court justices for how many years now? That I don't know, but it did change. It may have, but it's been the same number for a long right. time. We've also never seen a speaker get voted out. So there's all kinds of things that can change. I don't think that's a great analogy. Get a I, don't that's a great, that. I don't think that's a great analogy, but we got to leave it right there. That was 200 years, we gotta not leave it 50. right there. <laughs> and, uh, well then, Dave. Dave Zuckerman, thanks for being on The Morning Drive. It's always, always a pleasure. Thank you, listeners. I appreciate it. No, thanks for coming in. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to obviously check in with the news. Amanda's got the headlines, so the local news. And we got a great 